Theory Podcast. I'm Nick, and I'm here with my friend Zach. Hello, everybody. So today we've got a very special guest. Uh, she's been on the show before, and today she's going to be talking about one of her, her favorite decks. So this is a deck tech episode. Hope you all are ready. So welcome back to the show, Charlotte. Would you like to introduce yourself? Hi, I'm Charlotte Sable. I'm a level three magic judge. I run the magic judge blog on Tumblr. I've been judging almost 10 years now. I've been playing Magic off and on since 93. Uh, so Magic's been a big part of my life for a big part of my life. Uh, I'm also now a member of the Commander Advisory Group. Yeah. And yeah, Magic is good. <laughs> well, thank you for coming back on the show, Charlotte. So um, I want to just briefly talk about our Patreon page. So Commander Theory has a Patreon page, which means that all of you listeners can start directly supporting the show and get access to some sweet rewards. For as little as $1 a month, you can become a patron and vote on what sort of content you'd like to see and get a shout-out in the show's credits. If you're willing to give a little bit more, you can hang out with us on Google Hangouts, get one-on-one deck advice, get your questions answered on the podcast, join our Discord server, and more. So check us out at patreon.com slash commandertheory and become a patron today. If you are on a tight budget and can't commit to becoming a patron, you can also help us out by giving us a review on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher. It helps other potential listeners find us so we can grow our listener base, invest some more time and money into the podcast. So all you got to do is write a review and you'll be helping us out free of charge. With that said, as one of the members of the Commander Advisor Group, uh, we understand that you're an avid Commander player. Can you tell us a bit about the Commanders that you like to play with? Sure. I currently have uh, five Commander decks built, but I'm in the process of building more, and I've gone through some earlier decks that I'm no longer playing. Uh, But currently my decks are, I have Alesha Who Smiles at Death. My build of her has a heavy artifact theme, not complete, but generally the build is to have good targets that come out a lot bigger than they should be for Alesha. And the deck's very much hinged on self-mill and getting a lot of good repeatable value with Alesha and with a few other reanimation and graveyard filling effects. Unesh Cryosphinx Sovereign, which is a mono-blue Sphinx Storm deck, which is exactly what it sounds like. Basically, I use a lot of cost reducers and Unesh and, yeah, play a lot of big flying Sphinxes and win the game with actual storm spells a lot of the time. That's awesome. Cool. Yeah, yeah. I have uh, Angus McKenzie. For those of you that don't know, Angus basically is a uh, Bant cost, green, white, blue, uh, 2-2, and he has green, white, blue, tap, fog, basically. So it's a fog deck. The deck wins through unblockable creatures and encouraging people to attack other places. That's great. <laughs> My currently uh, newest commander deck is my Goblin deck, which is Ib Halfheart. But it's not a normal goblin deck. It's a very special goblin deck where every card other than basic mountain has to have goblin or some variant of goblin in the card name. So I can't play Cranko. I can't, you know, play Coat of Arms. I can't play a lot of stuff that you normally see in goblin decks. And it's just a very casual, silly deck. But, you know, it's the best I can build with that restriction. So it's a lot of fun. Awesome. Uh, Then we have my Shieldred Whispering One deck which is a mono-black reanimation and board control deck. 
focused very heavily on creatures and keeping the board clear until I can bring creatures back. I also have a few decks that I've had in the past but no longer play. My very first commander deck was Earl the Miststalker, which was a uh, Naya Enchantress deck that eventually evolved into dropping the red and became Krond. I don't remember his full name, but anyway. He's like white, 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 green, green, green. And when he attacks, if he's enchanted, you destroy a permanent or exile a permanent. Heck of a mana cost on that guy. (laughs) Yeah. But I mean, you know, you're two colors, so you you can afford it. Uh, Another one of my early decks that I no longer play is Ashling the Pilgrim, which began as a lot of the old jokes go as Ashling and 99 Mountains. Classic. The end, it was still very heavily mountains. At the end, I think there was still at least 40 mountains in the deck. So I was still happy with you know, calling it Ashling's Mostly Mountains. And then the most recent deck that I had that I killed was a Gwendolyn DeCourcy deck, which was a discard-themed deck, which I took apart because power level wasn't particularly high and it always just painted a giant target on my head and wasn't particularly fun to play. I also currently have two decks under construction. I am building a Rakdos the Showstopper deck which is heavily demon themed and I'm also building a coin flip deck with uh, Zinder Split and Okan but that one's more <laughs> just in the planning stages. Nice. Yeah, so that that's that's my past current and future uh, arsenal at the moment. Pretty sweet. You know, Wizards yeah. really ought to like issue a coin with like Zinder Split on one side and Okan on the other. Oh, that would actually be awesome. <laughs> yeah, but which one would be heads? Oh, that's Ooh, a good question. Tough, tough <laughs> Probably Zindersplit, I would think. Yeah. Yeah, the yeah. brain's of the operation. Yeah. Well, very cool. Uh, so tell us a bit about your, your deck building philosophy. How do you design your commander decks? Uh, well, other than my goblin deck, every deck that I've built so far has basically started with the commander. To me, the commander of a deck is not necessarily the key, but it's a very important part of building the deck. And if it's not a big part of your strategy, then really, what's the point? I mean, yes, sometimes you want to build... Okay, I mean, not saying that building a deck in a certain set of colors with a certain theme is good. Maybe there's not a commander that matches it. But to me, the fact that you have the commander in the command zone is such a big boon and such a big part of what a deck can do that it seems like almost a waste to not theme it. And if you just want to play, you know, 100-card singleton decks that aren't commander decks, then you can just play, like, Canadian or German Highlander or whatever, right? Yeah, absolutely. I was just going to say any other tenets that uh, influence your deck design. Yeah, I I like to build uh, to a theme and to synergies. I don't like good stuff decks, and I don't like putting cards that a lot of people consider staples in a lot of decks unless they're actually needed. Like, for example, of the decks I listed, I don't play Sol Ring in every deck. My current decks, obviously I don't play Sol Ring in Ib because I can't, but I don't think he would really particularly want it anyway because there's enough cheap drops. I play it in Alesha just because there's an artifact theme. I play it in Unesh because Unesh wants to be fast. So I don't have it in Shieldred because even though she has a big mana part, she's very she very much wants black mana. And I like to keep as many creatures in the deck as I, in that deck as I can. Not every deck needs signets. Not every deck needs tutors. Put stuff in the deck that belongs in the deck. Like, if it serves a purpose, good. But, you know, you don't need to play Eternal Witness in every green deck. You don't need to play Demonic Tutor in every black deck. Yeah, I have a friend who goes off on Acidic Slime. 
He's always like, yeah. acidic slime is in every green deck, and I hate it, and it, blah, 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 blah. It's, it's, he's he's kind of got a point, because like, a lot of the time you're just playing acidic slime to play it, because it's very good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a good card, but in some decks, I'd maybe rather just, you know, if I don't particularly care about the body, if I don't have ways to recur it, maybe I'd rather just play uh, Creeping Mold and just get the effect for one mana less and not have it open to creature counters and stuff. Absolutely. Yeah, we we definitely feel like uh, good stuff and staple cards, they just kind of like get boring after a while. And like, Mm -hmm. if you see them too often, if every deck is kind of playing the same cards, just kind of increases the pace at which you're going to get bored with the format. yeah. Yeah. The thing is, though, also a good stuff card, it's good, but it can also work against your strategy if it's not pushing your specific strategy forward. But as I mentioned on my last appearance, my general philosophy overall in Commander is that I like to do my thing, and I like to let my opponents generally do their thing, and then we'd see who does it better, and I'm not a big fan of control or prison strategies in the format for the most part, like you know, heavy counter spells, a million board wipes, that sort of thing, you know? Yeah. So what deck are you going to be sharing with us today? Today I'm going to be talking about my Shieldred deck. I've had this deck for a while. It was, I think, the third deck I built after Earl and Ashling. I've liked Shieldred ever since she was introduced as a character. I remember back during uh, Scars of Mirrodin block, I was, I had sort of, noticed her name in flavor text in earlier cards in the block mm-hmm. and i was you know i like i liked the name i, I was interested in a lot of the flavor of that block just because it was kind of cool and then once they actually spoiled the character i was like completely in love the design is just amazing the art is gorgeous the promo art is garbage never use yeah, it i, I um, agree with you <laughs> but like the normal art is the normal art is is one of my favorite pieces of magic art just because it's so ominous and looming and it's powerful but also crafty looking you know mm-hmm. um but yeah so i've been kind of in love with shouldered ever since beginning i recently revamped the deck in the past couple of weeks it used to have a fairly large demon sub theme but the deck was getting a little bit stagnant and so i took out the demon sub theme and moved a lot of that that's going to be in the rakdos deck that i build just to sort of freshen up shieldred and deal with a couple of problems that the deck had such as a lack of early game plays and that sort of thing yeah, and that really let me uh, sort of figure out what I actually wanted to do with Shieldred because previously Shieldred had had a lot of focus problems. It was trying to do a lot of stuff. It was trying to be a reanimation deck. It was also trying to be a big mana deck. It was also trying to be a demon deck, and it's like can't do all of that at once, right? So that's that that's the uh, origin and whatever that brings us to Shieldred at this point in time. So cool. No, I mean that's a that's a cool story. I. I also, like, I think that highlights a cool part about Commander 2 where, like, a deck is never done. Like, you never, like, mm-hmm. finished with the deck, really. And part yeah. of that's because, like, new cards are always coming out. But part of it's also because, like you said, like, like the games are getting stagnant and you're like, oh, I, I kind of want to do this other thing, so what can I turn this... Like, like that's... Uh, I don't know. That's really cool. So I'm excited to hear what you what you did and what it looks like. Yeah. So sure. yeah, so yeah. kind of on that note, what is what's kind of your goal of the Shieldred deck? Like how how do you generally play with it? The general plan overall is to control the battlefield 
and build up resources and then finally get shielded down and start building up a bigger battlefield than everyone else and basically win with just incremental card advantage over the long term. I reanimate things for value and to maximize card synergy. Uh, on the early turns, I like to protect myself without making too many enemies. Ideally, I'll get something like Fleshbag Marauder on turn three to clear out some early threats, early commanders, whatever. Targeted spot removal can also help. Then in the middle terms, I want to like, you know, obviously early turns, I want to be ramping and stuff as well. Uh, middle turns, I want to be playing some bigger drops. And then late games, start really maximizing my synergy and getting value engines. Like, for example, one game I played earlier this week, I ended up winning the game because I had a Nurkana Rev which basically makes all my swamps make extra mana. I also had a ball stronghold. So basically I had 24 mana available every turn, which wow. is a lot. Yeah. yeah. And like, I only had eight swamps, but like I had 24 <laughs> mana available. Uh, so basically I got to a point in the game where I was, I was attacking on my turn, not doing anything else. And then at the end of the turn before mine, I would make 24 mana, spend pump 23 of it into the Nirkana Revenant, making it 27-27, then sack it to uh, Ghoul Color Gissa, make 27 zombie tokens. Oh, God. And, that, and then bring the Revenant back in my upkeep with Shieldred. Yeah, so... <laughs> <laughs> That's wonderful. Insane <laughs> that, value. That, 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 yeah, that's the sort of thing that I like to do with this deck, so... Oh, yeah, I mean, that's, I mean, sounds awesome. Do, can you uh, tell us, like, other strengths of the deck? Sure. I mean, I think, in general, the deck is good at keeping opponents from getting too far ahead with creatures so that I can, like, catch up and overtake them late in the game. The deck is also uh, pretty good at being flexible in that, assuming I'm getting enough creatures into my graveyard, I will generally have answers that I can reanimate to deal with, with most things other than like artifacts or enchantments. You know, it becomes a bit of a toolbox and there's just a lot of value in synergy. And the deck is good because I'm not running a bunch of like big scary demons anymore. The deck is really good at not looking too threatening until it's almost too late for anyone to do anything about it. <laughs> kind of flying under the radar. A little bit. I mean, obviously, people look at Shieldred and want to kill her, but, yeah. <laughs> you know, for the most part, if, if my board, other than Shieldred, is like a 4-4 and a 3-3 and a 5-5 and a couple of zombie tokens, that's not as scary as it would be if I had, like, six demons plus Shieldred, right? So, like... So, you yeah. you mentioned this earlier, but, like, what are... Are there any other weaknesses that the deck has trouble uh, dealing with? Well, obviously, Mono Black has uh, a big hard time dealing with artifacts and enchantments. Like, Black has absolutely no way to deal with enchantments. Uh, it has one way or a couple of ways of dealing with artifacts because early magic. I do have a gate to Phyrexia, which, for those that don't know, is a black black enchantment that has an activated ability of sacrifice a creature to destroy target artifact but you can only activate it in your upkeep and only once a turn it's you know it's a fun card it it does things but you know because you can only use it once a turn cycle 
it's, you know, more of a safety valve than anything. And then I also have a few other small pieces of spot removal. Like I run an unstable obelisk and that can deal with the problem permanent. But, you know, I'm not running Nev's disc or... Oh, stone. Oh, stone. Or what's the, uh, what's the M15 one that... Perilous Vault? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, I'm not running those. Again, I can have problems against heavy, like, artifact or enchantment strategies, but I'm good enough at dealing with creatures that generally, like, most of those decks don't win without creatures, and so I'm good enough at controlling those, and if someone's really a problem like that, I can start hitting them, and if, it, if you can't have permanent removal, player removal's just as good, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know something interesting, though? Mark Roserwater, he recently said on his blog that um, they're experimenting with black enchantment removal. So you might get some some new goodies in the future. Yeah, that sounds good, especially if it's on a creature. That would be nice. Yeah, yeah. yeah, Black black should be able to deal with enchantments. Like even just having one way to deal with them would be nice. You know, just the same way I run the uh, gate to Phyrexia. And also, like enchantments are kind of they kind of have a big advantage over a lot of the other card types because like only two colors can deal with them whereas like there's more colors that have answers yeah Yeah, exactly can deal with artifacts free can deal with artifacts so yeah so it's cool new development um yep yep but uh what are the the main categories of cards in your deck well i sort the deck into five main categories first of all there's removal which is obviously important because removing things is how I control the game. So that category includes point removal, like say Braska's Contempt, board wipes like Toxic Deluge or Mutilate or whatever, as well as the sacrifice effects like the Flesh Bag and Merciless Executioner and that sort of thing. Then I have Mana Acceleration because the deck is a little mana hungry. I have a seven cost commander, so I don't want to be, you know, ideally I don't necessarily want to have to wait till turn seven to be able caster all the time so you know cards like uh solemn simulacrum or nakana revenant or magus of the coffers cabal coffers crypt gas burnished heart you know these sorts of things all help to sort of push me a little bit it's not heavy acceleration i'm not running the the black x spells that can like eat all of my mana so i'm not running every bit but i'm running like creature based mana doubling and i like to basically keep other than a couple of mana rocks i like to keep all of the mana stuff on creatures and lands for the most part with this deck so if i'm going to be reanimating obviously i need to have cards to fill my graveyard so that category includes a couple of dredge cards like Stinkweed Amper, Dakmore Salvage, includes Stitcher Supplier, Pack Rat, you know, Gate to Phyrexia, High Market, Phyrexian Tower, that sort of stuff that can incidentally put cards into my graveyard without just necessarily having cards that are only for putting cards into my graveyard. And then, of course, it's a reanimation deck, so we have reanimating effects like Shieldred, Animate Dead, Living Death, uh, Grave Waker, you know, Liliana Death's Majesty, etc. A fair number of ways to bring things back in addition to Shieldred, because while Shieldred is, you know, usually able to stick around at least a turn cycle or two, sometimes people will target her, and if once she starts costing me like 11 mana, that's getting out of the realm of reasonableness, so I don't like to, you know, I like to have ways to bring things back without relying solely on Shieldred. Also, she has to survive a whole turn cycle before I get anything out of her. yeah. That's always tricky in Commander. Yeah, and then finally, there's just value cards for all points of the game. Just things that are good to bring back with Shieldred, things that are just good to cast, you know, just 
general value card things that are hard for people to deal with things that help me recur cards that sort of thing think cards in that category would be like Rexian obliterator custody lich ascendant evan car Rexian arena brave titan mortal combat that sort of stuff things that don't cleanly fit in the other categories but all sort of help push me ahead or give me the potential to win the game a bit easier but can you tell people listening maybe some like cool cards that they might not know about cards the community might be sleeping on something like that yeah um i brought up a card or two in each of the categories i've mentioned before uh a couple of removal cards that i think could stand to see a bit more play are uh grip of desolation first of all which is i think a really fabulous card that needs to see more play it's a four black black instant with devoid not that that matters for this deck and then it says exile target creature and target land. So if you're exiling a utility land and a creature, and you're exiling them, not destroying them, and it's an instant. And so in general, I think it's like a fabulous card for if you've built up to the point where that sort of amount of mana is reasonable. And like as point removal spells go, it gives you a two for one. So it's like pretty good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if your commander costs seven, then for sure. <laughs> Another card that I'm quite fond of in this deck is Necroplasm, uh, which works really well with the early turn board control plan. So Necroplasm is a one black black creature ooze. That's a 1-1. And then it says, at the beginning of your upkeep, put a 1-1 counter on Necroplasm. At the beginning of your end step, destroy each creature with with converted mana cost equal to the number of 1-1 counters on Necroplasm. And then it also has Dredge 2, which is useful if it gets in your graveyard. Not the biggest Dredge, but it's decent. But like, yeah, like you drop it, and if it survives until the end of the turn, it wipes out basically every token that's not a copy of something. So that's pretty good. And then, you know, the next turn it hits one drops, the next turn it hits two drops, the next turn it hits three drops, including itself, and then it goes to your graveyard and you can dredge it again. Alternately, if you have ways to uh, add more counters to it, you can push it over three without it triggering, and then it'll start killing four drops, five drops, six drops <laughs> as the game goes on, which can be kind of fun. Yeah, this deck doesn't yeah, yeah. have any ways to do that offhand, but it's, it's, it's a fun card, and because of it, it's recurrable even without reanimation. I think it could stand to see a bit more play overall. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I definitely have a soft spot in my heart for this card. Like, I've seen it do some massive amount of heavy lifting in certain decks. So, yeah, it's like, oh, nice, nice token deck. How about they all go away? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> in the mana category, I mean, most people know what's available to black for mana acceleration. So my my list is not super interesting in that regard. But one card that I'm quite fond of is Unstable Obelisk, which especially in black which has problems dealing with permanents of certain type, it's pretty useful. So Unstable Obelisk is a three-mana artifact that taps for a colorless, but it also has seven tap sack destroy target permanent. So, you know, early game you drop it, it's a mana rock, it's fine. And then late game it can just deal with a problematic permanent, which is quite nice. And I don't think it sees necessarily enough play. Yes, it doesn't exile it like colorless instant scour Scour from existence. Yeah. Yeah, that one. Uh, but it's still pretty good. And like, if you're getting to that point of the game anyway, you probably don't need the mana acceleration. 
And it's just a nice safety valve to have. For cards that put cards into the graveyard, a couple cards I quite like. One of them is Corpse Connoisseur, which is a four and a black zombie wizard, 3-3. Three, three. And when it enters the battlefield, you can search your library for a creature card and put it into your graveyard. And if you do your shuffle, and then it also has Unearth for three and a black. It's basically an Entomb that's recurrable. And, you know, it's pretty useful for getting a specific answer into your graveyard. I'm not a huge fan of tutors and commander in general, but, uh, you know, limited ones that work with the deck, like the Corpse Connoisseur, can be pretty nice. Yeah. Another card that's uh, done a lot of good work that I just I put in just because it seemed reasonable for the deck, but in uh, playing, it's proven itself really, really nice is Flesh Carver, which is, I think, a quite overlooked card. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's two and a black for a 2-2 human wizard with Intimidate, and it has one and a black, sacrifice another creature, put two and one counters on it, and then when it dies, you make an XX black horror creature token where X is its power. So basically, it's just an easy way to get stuff into the graveyard, or if you're block chump blocking with a creature, you can sack it to your Flesh Carver to make it eat bigger. And then, oh hey, when this dies, you get an equal size token. Combos really nicely with something like uh, Gisa. Mm -hmm. Let's say I have my Flesh Carver up to 6-6, six, six, and I have Gisa out. I can use Gisa to uh, make six zombies and a 6-6 six, six token, which is, you know, kind of even more crazy than Gisa already is. And then it's just a really decent card to recur, and the Intimidate is not to be underestimated, because a lot of times people just will not have black or artifact creatures. Yeah, for sure. Especially, like, in a four-player game, someone's probably just kind of open. Uh, yeah, I really like the synergy with, with Gisa. I like that Gisa's zombies feed the Flesh Carver, and then Flesh Carver feeds the Gisa. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Another fun combo with Gisa that I quite enjoy is Scourge of Neltoth, which is a five black black zombie dragon that's six six with flying. You can cast it from your graveyard by paying black black and sacrificing two creatures rather than paying its mana cost. So that's a fun little thing you can get going with Gisa. I sack the Scourge, make six zombies. And then I pay two black and sack two of the zombies to get the dragon back. So basically you're getting four zombies for free for three mana, basically. So that's which is actually, pretty nice. But yeah, I mean, you know, just, just nice little ways to get synergy is good. Now moving on to reanimation, which is the name of the game for this deck. One card that's pretty new that I think is not quite well known yet that's pretty nice is Thrilling Encore, which is a four and a black instant from Battle Bond that says, put onto the battlefield under your control all creatures in all graveyards that were put there from the battlefield this turn. So yeah, someone else wraths, you play this and you get everything that dies other than like commanders or tokens. Or if you have enough mana late in the game, you know, nine mana, damnation this, like, oops, I get all the creatures all of a sudden you know build your own insurrection except it's permanent yeah heck yeah <laughs> nice and then another card that i quite enjoy is grave waker which is it was one of the intro pack rares from m19 four and two black for a bird spirit that's five five with flying and it has five black black return target creature card from your graveyard to the battlefield tapped it just seven mana reanimate the thing from your graveyard like no no fuss, no muss, and it's a pretty powerful effect that I think people are sleeping on, honestly, just because, like, that's about as, you know, no nonsense as reanimation can get, so. I'm surprised uh, I missed that one when M19 came out, because 
Uh, I, I normally am on the lookout for spirits, like black spirits that interact with your graveyard because I played a, an Iname Death Aspect deck for a while. So this definitely seems yeah. like sweet card for that list. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's a it's a nice card, and again, I think the fact that it was an intro pack rare, people a are less exposed to those, and b tend to sort of dismiss them as just chaff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but M nineteen yeah. actually had quite a good uh, number of intro pack rares. There was that the uh, Grave Waker. There was the aggressive mammoth, which is what three and three green for an eight eight and. Eh trample and all your other creatures have trample yeah that was really really strong for an intro pack <laughs> that's really strong and I, th- I think a couple of the other ones were pretty good as well like they- they're making the intro pack cards and even the planeswalker deck cards a lot better so like stop sleeping on those people like look at look at all the new cards when a set comes out you know not just the ones you can get in booster packs yeah m19 was a really great set for commander and i'm really I hope that 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 it like sets the the tone for what future core sets are going to be like. Oh yeah, it was this surprise wonderful gift. Okay, so moving on to the last category of what I term value cards, uh, which is just the catch-all for everything that's not strictly in one category or another, or not primarily for one category or another. I have uh, three cards picked out. Um, the first one is Infernal Tribute, which is a black-back-black enchantment uh, that says to sacrifice a non-token permanent draw a card. Uh, you know, it's a nice uh, way to use, uh, to just get value out of your permanents, you know, chump blocking, getting something back in the graveyard, bring it back with Shieldred, whatever. And then just, you know, uh, it's also good if you're playing a deck that has some of the downside enchantments, like Demonic Pact or, uh, you know, Heartless Summoning, that sort of thing. You get to the point of the game where they're not useful anymore. It's a nice way to get rid of them without having to spend a card or jump through hoops to necessarily get them out of play. Um, and it's just a good card advantage engine. It's an older card, so a lot of people don't necessarily know it. Um, another fun card that I quite like. It didn't enter the deck until about a year, year and a half ago. But when I found it, it's like, why have I not been playing this in my Shielder deck forever? It's Helm of Possession, so it's a four-mana artifact. Uh, you can choose not to untap it in your untapped step. And its ability is to tap. Sacrifice a creature, gain control of target creature for as long as you control Helm of Possession, and Helm of Possession remains tapped. So, yeah, it's just a nice, easy, quick way to steal a creature and keep it for as long as you want. If you have another sacrifice outlet, you can steal something and then sacrifice it, then untap the Helm next turn. It's a fun thing. Uh, One thing to note, though, is that this isn't like Coffin Queen or other things that can steal stuff out of other people's graveyards. If you untap the helm, it just goes, the creature just goes back to the, to its owner or controller. It doesn't uh, get sacrificed or destroyed or anything. So, but it's just, but it's still a really, really useful card and, you know, doesn't require a lot of outlay if you're already having disposable creatures. Um, a third card that I quite like, uh, which isn't necessarily specifically just good for this deck, but I quite enjoy it in general, is uh, Dusk Urchins. So Dusk Urchins is a two and a black creature oof. It's a four three, uh, 
Whenever it attacks or blocks, put a minus one, minus one counter on it. And when it dies, you draw a card for each minus one, minus one counter on it. So basically attack with it three times or block with it three times. You draw three cards. Uh, sacrifice it to something after attacking with it once. You know, you draw a card. It it's really fun if you can play it with something like Black Sun Zenith, you know, all Black Sun Zenith for fifty or fifteen, and <laughs> oh, oh I'll yeah. draw fifteen cards, you know. It's like it's just it's just a use in a re in a reanimation deck, it's just a useful card and a good early drop in that, you know. Like it's a fourth you're like well for uh, first time it attacked, it's actually attacking as a three two, but you know. The thing is it's an early drop, it's small enough that people aren't necessarily gonna spend something blocking it. And if you're able to attack with it, you're at least going to get some value out of it. And then it's just a fun thing to bring back. Um, you know, the thing is, reanimation, people usually think about the powerful stuff, but those the decks need early drops as well, or they're not going to last until the late game. So. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I really like the sacrifice outlets in your deck like Infernal Tribute, Helm Possession, Gate to Phyrexia. When I first started, I played a lot of mono black and black white sacrifice decks. And I, I totally agree. Like pe more people need to know about Infernal Tribute and Helm of Possession. These like classic cards that are so good for, for setting up these reanimation loops. Yeah, another card that I quite like, it, it's more of a graveyard filling than a sacrifice outlet but like i think key to this city should definitely be played in a lot more graveyard decks because so for those who don't know key to the city two mana artifact from kaladesh tap it and discard a card up to one target creature can't be blocked this turn and then whenever it untaps you can pay two and if you do draw a card so it's just a good way to cycle cards out of your hand it's a good way to you know draw cards and you know making things unblockable is never bad so no i i love this card too i run it in my alesha list because it's so good at yeah uh, yeah, getting I also those... run it in my Alesha list. Oh, perfect. Yeah, because yeah, yeah. you like want to protect Alesha, make sure she gets through, and then you want to yeah. fill your graveyard, and then drawing cards is sweet, too. It's triple threat. Yep, ab absolutely. You know, it's a little expensive. You have to pay the mana in your upkeep. You might not necessarily know what you want to do that turn because you haven't drawn yet, but, you know, if you don't have a whole lot else going on or if you have a bunch of mana... Yeah, it's a good way to draw cards, and you know, it basically gives delayed cycling to all your cards, which is nice. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah, really. Yeah. And you don't have to pay on the front end, so you know, if you really have something you need to reanimate, but you can only afford the spell, then hey, that's good rather than having to pay, you know, two mana to discard it or not. Yeah, yeah, definitely a good, well-designed card. Yeah. Yep. Indeed. So, what have your you sort of touched on this earlier, but uh, what have been your favorite additions from recent sets? I already mentioned a couple of them, but like Thrilling Encore and Grave Waker are just really, really good reanimation cards that aren't just busted powerful, but are, you know, strong and good cards to put in decks. They're, they're cards that I'm quite impressed with because they're well designed in that they're not just like reanimate everything or here's something that's obviously super strong and we're going to put it at Mythic and it's going to get shot down. Like, you know, it's a 5-5 five, five flyer, sure. It's a dragon, basically. But, you know, it costs seven to use and six to cast. And, like, if I'm spending 13 mana to reanimate a creature, that's not 
terrible if I really need the creature, but, you know, it's also not insane value. I think they're very well-designed cards. Uh, Key to the City is a little bit older, but it's also a nice favorite. Oh, yeah, I'll give a shout-out to Plague Crafter as well, because while there have been a bunch of Flashbag Marauder-type creatures in the past, uh, Plague Crafter is the fourth one by my count. Plague Crafter is the first one that actually punishes players who don't have a creature to to sacrifice it also make, can make people sacrifice planeswalkers which is very nice see are there any cards in your deck that you put in for thematic or flavor reasons or just because you like them not in this deck really but like there's some cards here that get a bit more leeway than they would with some of my other decks hunted horror or stitcher supplier like they're not great cards on the surface like a one one for one even if it has a good ability is just kind of meh but like the deck needs early drops and if they're not here then where would they go hunted horror is also good because a lot of the stuff i play later just outclasses the tokens and if i can play hunted horror and then follow it up with a necroplasm those tokens are just dead and there you go yeah hunted horror and, and those cards definitely get a lot more interesting in commander where it's not necessarily just like a straight downside for you like if those yeah. three threes get pointed at your opponents then it's really you're getting 13 yeah, exactly. power for you two know, mana. I, i'm also probably not the only black player maybe they want to save them for blocking or whatever like protection is very strong especially in commander so like they might not just want to throw them at my face all the time on a similar note i run the hunted phantasm in my angus deck because you know i'm a fog deck i don't care if my opponent has a bunch of goblin tokens and is gonna attack me with them i just fog like i'll take the four six unblockable body for three right like you know, yeah. not all of the cards in that cycle are great, but a lot of them are really strong and are worth a second look if you can downplay the uh, downside of them. Yeah. I mean, obviously they're great with Corporal Orb and that sort of effect, of course, but, you know, there's other ways to counteract it as well. As for putting cards in on for thematic and flavor reasons, obviously my Goblin deck, on the other hand, 100% that, yeah. in that, you know, every card has to be named Goblin and Goblin this or Mog that or Skirk that or Aki or boggard whatever this deck is not necessarily super flavor heavy but it's you know it has its themes i guess flavor wise me cutting the demons and just literally saying no no demons in the deck now that i'm building a demon deck is something like the opposite of that but like you know it's fine it's just the deck was very demon heavy for a long time and i'm actually quite happy with where it's ended up without demons now so cool no that's great while we have you here we, we'd like to ask you a few questions about the Commander Advisory Group's charter, as that was just released sure, absolutely. earlier this week. Uh, what would you say is the purpose of the charter? The purpose of the charter, I'd say, was is to define the role and purpose and function of the advisory group, as well as its relationship to the Rules Committee, and to set out some basic expectations for behavior of CAG members and consequences for the failure to meet those expectations. Uh, in general, it's a very basic charter. It's just saying, you know, this is what we expect you to do. This is what how we expect you to work. And this is what happens if you're not up to snuff. You know, it, it, it's a very basic sort of foundational document, I think. It's not anything that people should read too much into overall. You know, I'm sure it's of interest to commander players, but like, it's really, it's just, you know, saying pretty much everything they said when they set the committee up. Gotcha. Uh, so like, just want to, you mentioned that's kind of like a basic document. Um, and yep. so the charter is not very specific about like what the CAG members will do and how they're going to do it. So why was it, why was the decision made to leave the charter open-ended? 
Well, I mean, the keg is new, and it's made up of a bunch of smart, energetic, opinionated people. And I think any attempt to limit what we could do as a group wouldn't work out super well. The CAG, like I said, is new, and it still has a lot of things that are going to take shape as we work together more, both as a group ourselves and with the RC. Maybe the, the role will become a bit more nailed down and defined in the future, but for now we need room to breathe and grow and stretch and find what we're going to do. And, you know, maybe that leads to, you know, amendments to the charter and more defining specific roles. But I think for now, having it open-ended is just going to make it better overall for us to be able to uh, work the way that we feel like working. Do you think it's likely that the charter is going to become more defined as time goes on or i don't know offhand i think it's probably fine the way it is like i said i mean this isn't a business you know we're not people of, of a billion different skill levels or experience we're we're on the committee because we're already acting in, in certain ways and i think they just want us to carry that forward in general so I wouldn't be surprised if it didn't change. But at the same time, I I think, you know, if we sort of fall into a pattern, having that pattern laid out in the document to help new members as they come into the CAG would be probably helpful. But again, the future will tell. But I'm not 100% sure overall if it'll go one way or the other. Okay. The, the charter states that occasionally the rules committee will task the advisory group with specific deadline-driven projects. Uh, have any of these projects been discussed yet? And if so, what sort of projects will CAG be working on? There hasn't been anything official, otherwise you would probably have heard about it. But from conversations both within the CAG and with the rules committee, we've had a few ideas bouncing around. And those projects would mostly consist of outreach to the community and collection of data and opinions from the community. Uh, like, for example, back when there was the uh, the unstable period of Commander, when they let, you know, Silver Border cards be played, if something like that were to happen again, it's pretty likely that the CAG could be tasked with collecting community feedback and data from that experiment and bringing it back to the next RC and CAG meeting to discuss, to give us sort of more data and more information for future such experiments or, you know, events, as it were. In addition to data in the form of like opinions or polls, whatever, is there any interest in um, pursuing gameplay data, deck building data, other kinds of data to get a, a better view of the format to help you make decisions? It hasn't come up yet. And I think, like I said last time, collecting a bunch of data like that from Commander is not necessarily going to give us a clean picture of the format. I think it would give us a, a skewed, like the, specifically from the very engaged players who post decks online or who play at GPs or who play on Magic Online. But I mean, it's the best we can do, so I don't see why not. But there hasn't been a whole lot of discussion on that particular subject yet but it's certainly something we will keep in mind when it proves reasonable great uh one just one more quick question um has there been any talk about different ways in which members of the cag will contribute their specific skills for example like streaming from rachel agnes or video editing uh video production from josh or like judging from you nothing specific yet no but again things are still very early days we haven't yet actually had any sort of actual meeting yet we're going to be having well the next rc meeting which CAG members are invited to but it's not technically an rc CAG meeting it's an rc meeting and 
we're just allowed to be there and contribute is uh, coming mid-April. And so we can see what comes from that. But I think for the most part, what we're going to be focusing on for the first part is uh, more group issues and more format as a whole issues. Uh, a lot of the chatter so far has been discussing the ban list and a couple of the bigger questions that have been floating around the community for the most part. Just kind of the ideas that maybe are like being discussed a lot on Twitter and whatnot. Yeah, exactly, exactly. You know, we've we've chatted about Planeswalkers Commanders since that that discussion has raised its head again with the announcement of, you know, so many Planeswalkers and War of the Spark and what sort of rules there should be for, you know, events at GPs or Star City weekends or whatever. You know, these are the sort of things we've discussed. We're not necessarily going to take action on all of them. But as an example of what has been discussed, that's, you know, the sort of range of sort of things. I I won't ask you about any specifics, but... Well, I can't give you any yet. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But in the, like, initial discussions about the ban list taking place among the, the CAG members, are there any cards on which there's a consensus there's a few that we seem to be in accord about so far. I set up a uh, Google spreadsheet for people to sort of put their opinions about each card on the ban list on, and that's shown some agreement and some disagreement on various topics. So we'll oh. see where that goes. But at this point, I mean, I, I can't promise anything and I can't, you know, give details. But at this point, I would be shocked if coming out of the next meeting that there's not a change to the ban list of at least one card one way or the other so but again i can't give any details at this point so honestly just knowing that there's a change is pretty exciting news yeah knowing it's being discussed at all (laughs) oh yeah no absolutely absolutely that is literally dominating the conversation right now but again i can't give any details well i I probably haven't already said too much but i'm probably on the edge of saying too much so yeah, yeah, I we, think that that'll do it for this yeah, question. We're, we're, <laughs> we're not going to push too much further. Yeah, yeah. I mean, is there just kind of anything else you would like to say in general to the listeners, or about maybe like deck building or the advisory group or any of the topics we've kind of talked about today? Uh, well, while I'm on the topic of the advisory group, like I said, the next RC meeting is on April 13th or something. I think. I think it is anyway, sort of like early mid-April. So if there's anything you really want to see discussed or you have really strong feelings about in the format that you think we're not already considering, please reach out to me or one of the other CAG members or one of the RC members and, you know, let us know what you're thinking. And if you have a well-formed argument, then that's probably better than just saying, I hate this card, it sucks, you know? Yeah. Uh, But Again, the whole point of the CAG is we want to hear your opinions. We want to hear from the community. We want the community to have more of a say in the format. The whole point is that we're supposed to represent the community uh, because the RC wasn't doing that job as well as they had been in the past. So, What is the best way for the community to share these well-thought-out arguments with you? Twitter is probably the best way because we're all on Twitter. Uh, it's pretty easy to uh, find us all tagged together in some suite or other because people <laughs> already do this. But yeah, I'm I'm at JQL Girl on Twitter, and the others are not too hard to find. Mm-hmm. And I I want to say preemptively, I know like none of our listeners are going to do this, but please it, be respectful to the CAG members. Yeah. 
I mean, I feel like this doesn't need to be said, but uh, there's a big difference between like bringing something up for discussion and being trolling, trolly or angry or, or sending yeah, kind of hate. Exactly. So. I, I will make liberal use of the block feature on Twitter. So if, yes. if you want to be, if you want to yell at me on Twitter, you get to do it once. <laughs> there you go. It's empowering. <laughs> Uh, as for other stuff, uh, you know, please check out my blog where I answer rules questions. Not as frequently as I should, but I do. Uh, so magicjudge.tumblr.com. Uh, I also have a Patreon, which is linked from the blog. If you enjoy the work I do both at, on the Magic Judge blog and as a CAG member, but less so for that part. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's, you know, that those are the best ways to find me in addition to Twitter. And yeah, nothing, I don't have too much else to add. So thanks again for having me on. It was always a pleasure. I hope to come back again another time. Definitely. Thank you so much for sharing your, your deck list with us. It's a really sweet one. Yeah. And for all the listeners yeah. out there, we're going to have that link posted in the show notes and yeah. uh, make it really easy for you to check it out yourself. And thank yeah. you for, for enlightening us on the the charter and the thought process behind it and how it might change over time. Yeah, thanks, thanks again, and we're uh, always excited to have you on. Yeah, no, I'm always happy to be on. I mean, you guys are cool, and if I can help increase your audience or cross over our audiences or whatever, that's always great. Great. Thank yeah. you so much for, for coming on with us. Thank you. Not a problem. So before I go, I just want to give a brief thank you to our Patreon patrons. They are Bradley Pullen, Gustav Nyland, Ryan White King, Eamon Schofield, Addison Sage, Elvis Lai, and Mark. Thanks for listening. If you want to get in touch with me, I am at Commander Theory on Twitter and Tumblr. If you want to reach Zach, he is at Fat Bartleby on Twitter and Tumblr. The opening song is Lincoln Continental by Entropy, and you can check him out on SoundCloud. We'll talk to you guys next time.